good to be here with you here in the room. And to those that are online, welcome to you as well. I hope you're enjoying your uh, online chat with our host this morning too. You know, great time of the year, particularly if you're a sport lover. Yeah, you kind of come off uh, a summer of crickets and the Aussies kind of cleaned up. We won't talk about India at the moment. But we're kind of in this interim period where we're about to kind of move into football. And I know if you hate football, the next six months is going to be terrible for you. But, uh, you know, there is this, it is a sport, sporting plethora. Like, and, uh, you know, we live in such a global world now. So uh, for many of our young people who love basketball, you might be thinking of college basketball, March Madness, or this weekend you've got the Super Bowl. And uh, some of us will be watching the Super Bowl in the wee hours of the morning tomorrow morning. I grew up loving sport. Now, maybe it's one of the things that because you're in the country, there's not a lot of other things to do with your time. So, you know, you're, you're not wandering into the, into the big city to do a bunch of stuff. And so uh, my life was just filled with playing sport. I was encouraged by my, by parents to play sport. Uh, as a young person, it might have been tennis in the summer in the mornings and then in the afternoon up at board, it was moving into water sports out there on the lake. And it might be windsurfing, catamaraning, water skiing, all number of things across through the summer. And then, of course, in the winter time, I just migrated into playing footy with my mates, you know, under 14s, under 16s, under 18s, then into the reserves. And so you just kind of spent, you know, just moving from one to the next. And in between all of those, there was indoor cricket, there was squash, and of course, there was basketball. Now, as a teenager, you know, I was, I was okay at sport. You know, I, I was kind of middle of the road. But the one thing I seemed to excel in far above everything else that I really enjoyed was basketball. Some of it was probably because I was tall, and uh, so that just kind of worked in my favor. But you know, I was kind of growing up in that point in time, which uh, I would still hold it out there today, that where there was this global phenomenon by the name of Michael Jordan. Now, I still hold him up as probably the greatest basketball player that has ever played the game, but I was so infatuated with Mike that there was a phrase at that point in time, you know, you kind of, I want to be like Mike. I knew I was never going to be like Mike, but there was that sense that he was, he was everything about basketball that I wanted to be. And so I would spend countless hours of my time uh, you know, dribbling a basketball with both hands and you know, kind of working on between the legs and layups with your left hand and your right hand. I would spend hours just dropping free throw after free throw or even more better. I think this was my unstoppable. It was the 15-foot fadeaway jumper that I would just kind of take. But because of my height, it was kind of somewhat unstoppable. I wanted to be just like Mike. Now, I'm telling you that, and I'm putting that out there, because I think all of us, when we're kids, we grow up wanting to be like somebody, don't we? Now, you ask your kids or your grandkids, you know, who do you want to be like? And they, they want to be like Pastor Dave, or uh, no, no, they want to be like their mum or their dad. They want to be like uh, a, a good family friend. Uh, maybe it's their teacher. You know, it's a, you know, it's their kindergarten teacher. What do you want to be? I just want to be like Sally. I want to be like Ben, you know. You know that's kind of what we want to be like. But you know what, as we grow and mature, I think it doesn't really change. In fact, um, if we're kind of honest, we've probably all got people that we want to be like. It might be uh, an artist that we just love. And so we kind of, we practice our skill. Or it might be uh, you're, a, you're a writer and you're, just, you're moved. And so, you know, you want to be this great writer. You want to be like somebody. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a notable person in the community. Uh, or it could be uh, it's a mentor or it's a coach. Or maybe it's even somebody from history. 
you know, the reality is that there is this kind of, we, we kind of, we, we spot things that we like and we say, well, actually, I want to be like that. Well, I, I wonder how you'd answer that question. Who is it that you want to be like? And, and maybe even more to the point right now, not thinking about when you were a kid, but today, is there anybody that you want to be like? You know, well, one of the things that we do each year is that as we kind of pull into February, we always kind of swing back with a series that kind of helps us as people who are on a journey with Jesus Christ to understand what does that journey look like as followers of Jesus? And today uh, we kind of start a series called Like Him. Because ultimately, as you read the scriptures, we are told over and over again, as Paul writes these different letters, we, we get this overwhelming sense that as, as men and women, as, as people who are in Christ, people who are, have come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is this journey that we start where, yeah, we're already saints, we have a position there, but we're on this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, uh, we don't throw this word around anymore because, you know, it's kind of a big mouthful, you know what? You know, we are justified by faith, but then we go on this journey of sanctification. Well, that's kind of the journey. That's, that's what I'm talking about. It's a journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, where does this journey start? Well, it really starts with the invitation. You know, if you go back uh, into the Gospels, it's really clear that this process of transformation that begins to happen in our lives, yes, we come to faith in Jesus, but then Jesus says something to his disciples that tells us today that if we've come to faith in Christ, we're on this journey. It was in the invitation. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said to, this, to these men, he's walking around the Sea of Galilee, and he's having a conversation, or he's, well, we know he's looking for his disciples. And he's extending an invitation out there, and he says to these people, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Or uh, fishers of people, you could say. Now, now, what does a disciple look like? Well, we, we use this picture to kind of capture, in essence, what a disciple looks like. But in essence, if you think about that definition, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, a disciple of Jesus, somebody who is following Jesus. Well, it starts that way there with the head. They are somebody who is following Jesus. A disciple is somebody who is being changed or transformed by Jesus. There's a heart response that's going on. And a disciple is somebody who's also committed to the mission of or going on being involved in ministry with Jesus. It's a kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a hand and a feet response that just kind of begins to work its way out. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. And so if you're looking at that picture right now and you're thinking about that picture and you're thinking about the definition of a disciple, if you are on the journey with Jesus, then you are somebody who is following Jesus, someone who's being changed by Jesus, and someone who's committed to being on mission or to the ministry with Jesus. You see, a disciple is not just a pastor. Anybody who calls himself a follower of Jesus, someone who's on that journey, is a disciple of Jesus. On this journey of becoming more and more like him. How do we know that we're becoming more and more like him? Well, Paul talks about that in various places. Uh, he uh, kind of iterates or he kind of explains it in, in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, actually, sorry, in Romans chapter 8 verse 29. He says these words. I'm going to go back to this. I'm gonna, I'll start here in uh, Romans 8 29. Uh, he says, For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. There it is right there, to become like him. 
Or in uh, the book of Philippians, it says, Paul says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue this good work. You see, this is not just a, this tells me. This reminds us. And this is why it's so important for us at the beginning of another year to kind of come back and to remind ourselves of what this journey looks like. Is that yes, we come to faith in Jesus and our lives are instantaneously changed. We have a position now because we are in Christ, and we'll talk about that a bit more today. But when we come to faith in Christ, we then begin this journey. We, we, do, we might come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. Does that make sense? When we come to faith in Jesus, we actually then we go on this journey of becoming more and more like him. And so if uh, you come to faith in Jesus, a 20-year-old, and you get to live to be 80, you've got 60 years of becoming more like him. That is a good thing. What's a bad thing is that when you get to 80 and you haven't changed from the day you come to faith in Jesus, that's a bad thing. You might still be in Christ, that's your position, but it's about becoming more and more like him. And Paul says in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will continue that work. That is so encouraging to us. And so today we kind of come back, we, we remind ourselves and we kind of start this series around, well, what's that look like for us? To become like him. You know, there's lots of things we can aspire to in this world. We can aspire to be a great sports person, a great writer, a, uh, a great mum or a dad. You know, uh, they're good things to aspire to. But ultimately, as disciples who are on this journey with Jesus, the greatest thing that we should be aspiring to is to become more and more like Jesus. And, that, and, that, and, that, and so today we, we open up the book of Ephesians. If you've got a Bible or a device with me, I, I want to encourage you that we're going to camp ourselves in Ephesians chapter 1. Because Paul, he writes this letter, he begins this letter of writing to this group of people. But as he goes on, he spends a whole chunk of time talking about what God has done and then who we are in Christ. Which I think is absolutely foundational for us as we walk this journey with Jesus. You know... Uh, we often, we kind of come back and we talk about our identity in Christ and we come back to that for a variety of reasons. But you know, as we start this year and as we start this series, it is crucial that we understand who we are in Christ. Now, Paul opens this letter with these words. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Let's just pause there for a moment. What's the word apostle mean? Well, in essence, the word apostle uh, means someone who was sent. When we think of apostles, we typically think of capital A apostle. We think of those 11 disciples who were uh, at the, uh, the, after Christ had ascended into heaven, the spirit of God had come. They were then set apart by Christ to carry the good news as big A apostles into the world. And that's what they did. We hold them up as the first and the foremost apostles in this world. Now, who was Paul? Well, Paul was also a capital A apostle as well too. Uh, but he was a little bit different in the fact that he hadn't actually spent two and a half or three years with Jesus himself. He actually was kind of a, a bit of a Johnny-come-lately to the party. Uh, what do I mean by all of that? Well, the 11 disciples, well, there was 12, and, and uh, we know that uh, Judas lost his life. But then the 11 who were then commissioned and set apart, they had spent two and a half to three years with Jesus. Christ had poured his life into these 11 men. 
And so when Jesus ascended back into heaven and, and uh, he had given them the great commission to go into all the world, they knew exactly what to do at this point in time. They weren't sitting around thinking, oh, gee, I wonder what we're going to do with our time now. You know, Jesus is gone. Jesus had not only given them a mission, but he'd given them a methodology as well. And they knew exactly what it looked like to go about as disciples and make other disciples who would make other disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. They knew what to do. Paul turns up, and if you know the story of Paul, Paul was not a follower of Jesus. In fact, in the book of Acts, he was the one that stood over the stoning of Jesus, kind of gave approval to all of that while people threw stones on Jesus. And then he got a permission from the, the leading religious leaders to head off to uh, Damascus, which is in modern-day Syria today. And as he's going out the road, he is heading out there to, to find or to eradicate all the believers that are in that spot. That was kind of what he felt his calling was in life. And it was on this road to Damascus that he encounters the risen Christ. It's a great story, Acts 8 and 9. Uh, and, and Paul suddenly realizes that this Jesus that uh, he thought was a heretic, uh, this person that he wanted to uh, suppress any kind of movement and following of, of this person called Jesus, he suddenly realizes who Jesus Christ is, changes his life. And uh, in the book of Galatians, we're told that Paul, uh, from there as a transformed individual, spent the next 15 years really in an incubator uh, where uh, Jesus is pouring his life, maybe not so much directly, but indirectly into Paul as he's growing in his understanding of who Christ is. Well, Paul is the one then who now writes and says, I am a big A apostle. I have been called by Christ and I have been set apart. I have been sent to, uh, to carry the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. He says, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he writes, I am an apostle of Christ by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The word holy, well, he's writing to God's holy people. We're talking about other disciples and followers of Jesus. Now, what's the word holy mean? Well, it simply means to be set apart. These people that he is writing to are God's holy people who have been saved and declared to be righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done in their lives. And Paul's telling us that he is writing this letter to the believers, uh, to the believers in Christ that have been called out of this world and set apart for God's holy purposes. And this is what Paul then goes on to say about this group of people. And as I read this in verses 3 through 14, uh, uh, there is a reoccurring phrase that just gets dumped in over and over again. It's the phrase, in him, in him, in Christ, through Christ, under Christ, through him, in him, happens over and over. Let's read it in verse 3 onwards. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption through sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
in him. We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, uh, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I don't know whether you saw that, but over and over and over again, if you're reading from the NIV translation, you get this emphasis by Paul around in him, in him, through Christ, in Christ, under Christ, uh, uh, that Paul is writing about. Now, what does this phrase mean? Well, I, I think it's really important to kind of just go back and, and set the big picture of kind of what's the story that Paul's really communicating here. You see, the overarching teaching of the Scriptures from the beginning of Genesis right through the book of Revelation is God's desire to be in relationship with His creation. In the book of Genesis, God created Adam and Eve, created man and woman, created them to be in relationship with Him. That's the beginning of the story. Uh, Now, what's quite amazing and remarkable about that story is that, well, God... Uh, created a perfect world where God and his creation could walk together in perfect harmony all the time. What God also did is that he gave mankind, humankind, uh, free will and a choice to, to be in relationship with him. And if you know your scriptures and you know the book of Genesis, uh, in the first uh, two or three chapters, it all begins to unravel. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve, they chose to go their own way. They chose to disobey God's and they made their own choices and were told that sin entered into the world and the curse, which included physical death, uh, has, uh, was the result. Paul speaks about that in other letters that he writes. To the believers in Rome, in Romans chapter 5, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... And death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sins. What's he saying? He is saying it's because of Adam. Adam chose to disobey God, and as a result of Adam's choice to disobey and to sin, his choice has then, and sin has become the, has become the, uh, the decision of every person since that period of time. Now, how did God respond to this? Well, he could have at that moment, he could have just kind of wiped humanity from the face of the earth. But he responded graciously. He responded by showing grace to all he created by sending his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for our sins. So in one sense, as you think about the big story, you know, the Bible's full of lots of little stories, but as you think about the the big overarching story, God's plan of of redemption for, for all of mankind's, You see, really, we've got one of two choices. We can either identify with Adam, we can choose to be with Adam, or we can identify ourselves with the perfect God-man, Jesus, who died for our sins. If we identify with Adam, then we're identifying with everything that represents rebellion, and it results in in us being eternally separated from God. Whereas if we choose to identify, to, to repent and to identify with Christ's saving work on the cross, it results in us becoming holy and blameless in God's eyes. And this is what Paul's trying to describe in Romans 5 and in the ensuing verses. In verse 19, he says this, 
For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, talking about Adam, so also through the obedience of the one man, being Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to say, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so, don't miss this, so in Christ all will be made alive. See that word in Christ? See, Paul's emphasizing, he's saying those that are in Christ have now been identified with Jesus instead of Adam. And according to Paul, this, if we jump back into Ephesians now, this letter has been written to those that are in Christ, those that have been given a brand new identity. See, that's the position that we receive when we choose not to align ourselves with Adam, but to align ourselves uh, with Christ and to embrace his finished work on that cross at Calvary. Paul now goes on to talk about this new identity that we have in Christ. Now, if we're being honest, this world does a really good job at giving us an identity. You know, your identity might be a particular people group, culture. It might be that you've grown up in the country or you've grown up in the city. You've grown up with money or you haven't grown up with any money. You've grown up uh, being held up as what the world might deem as something that's attractive or not attractive. There's a, there's a whole bunch of identity markers that sit out there for us in this world that we often find ourselves being caught up in trying to, like, you know, there's, we may not verbalize it this way, but we're kind of saying, am I okay? Do I, do I measure up? Am, am I good enough? And this teaching of Paul is just wonderful because he actually says, you know, it's not about whether you think you're good enough. It's really about, you know, if you've embraced Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior, then you are good enough. Because this is who you are in Christ. You've got a brand new identity. See, this is wonderful news for us. You know, as we walk this journey with Jesus, we come to faith in Christ. But as we walk this journey of, him, of, of having him make us more and more like him, it is crucial that we just, we get our, our sense of identity and worth and, and where it kind of comes from. And Paul outlines it. If you've got your device, your Bible there, you, you, you want to see this. In the very first four verses, Paul emphasizes it over and over and over. In verse 2, he talks about, he prays grace and peace to those who are in Christ. What's the word grace mean? Well, it simply means to have the favor of God on your life. I mean, it's a beautiful prayer to pray over somebody, isn't it? May, may God's favor, may God's grace and peace hover over your life. Yeah, we are favored. We're also told in verse 3 that we are blessed. You know, we, we sing about that here at church. You know, I am blessed. You know, it's not uh, that we kind of, we feel like, uh, you know what, well, we are. We're incredibly significant because of who we are in Christ. We are favored and we are blessed. Then Paul goes on to talk about the fact that, uh, that we are spotless and blameless in God's sight. Why is that? It's all because of Jesus. Now, if it was left to us, all of us here and online right now would be thinking, oh, I don't feel very spotless or blameless. In fact, if people knew how I just responded to my wife or to my husband on the way here this morning or how I kind of snapped at the kids or what I just did at work this week or what I was thinking about, you and I think, oh, I'm not very spotless or blameless. See, that's the difference. You know what? 
We are saints who can still sin, but we're still saints nonetheless. And in the eyes of God, when he looks at us, he looks through, there is the lens that Jesus has laid over our lives. He looks in and through all of that and he looks at us. He says, you know what? That's my child. That's my son and that's my daughter. And they are just spotless and without blame. We are holy. Then in verse 5, Paul says that we have been adopted into God's family. Now, that resonates so strongly for me because oh, I was adopted. So I kind of get the idea of uh, the fact that you know, this is who I once was, but then I got placed into this family and my life was remarkably different as a result of that. You and I, we are God's creation. You know, everyone is God's creation, but only those who have placed their faith, their, their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ get the opportunity to be called his sons or daughters. You see the difference? The difference between creation and then being called a son or a daughter. You know, if you are in Christ here, if you're listening to this message right now and you know that you are in Christ, and what's that mean to be in Christ? That you are, you've aligned your life with Jesus, you've started that journey with him, then you are in Christ. This is who you are. You are God's special creation. Set apart for God's own special purposes. That's who you are that that ought to just blow our mind in a fresh new way and we kind of come back to this because i think this is a crucial thing now paul then goes on in uh in verse 90 i'm using my words here uh he kind of talks about the fact that we're kind of now inside us we've got this inside scoop or knowledge or insight into god's grand future plan we know what god is on about and then he kind of wraps it all up in verse 14 by, by saying that we've been marked We've been marked with a seal. What's the seal? It's the gift of God's Holy Spirit. I have this image of uh, the story in the Exodus where God's people, they're, they're there in Egypt, but he's calling them out. And, and things are becoming more and more tense and conflicted with the Pharaoh of that day. And, and, and so what does God do? God's saying to Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. Pharaoh saying, I'm not letting your people go. They're, they're here, they're mine. And so part of God's plan was to send the angel of death. But what did he say to Moses? He said, you know what? I want you to go throughout all of my people, throughout all the homes, to sacrifice a, 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 a lamb. And you're to take that blood of that very first sacrifice and you're to put it across. You're to mark the lentils of that door. Why? Because when the angel of death came through, it just kind of passed over all of those homes that were marked. You see, today, in a, in a similar way, our lives aren't sprinkled or kind of covered or marked with physical blood, but in one sense, they are marked and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so God looks through all of that. He looks through that and he sees us now as being blameless, spotless. And once prior to that, we'd kind of, our lives were headed for destruction, but because of what Jesus has done and us embracing that, we're now viewed in a completely different way. We've got an incredible inheritance. See, that's who we are. That's who we are in Christ. We're God's special creation, now designed to do something special. Now, this is really important for us to grasp again today. I've got to say, uh, I've read this plenty of times, but this week, just in my own spirit, as I kind of thought through this and wrestled with it and process this a bit more this was good for my soul this was good for me to think about and i'm trusting it's good for 
all of us here are, and online to be thinking about together as well too. And it's important for us to linger in this space simply because we have an enemy of our soul who will do whatever he can to kind of pull us back into our old ways and our patterns of thinking. We do. How do we ensure that we hang on to our identity in Christ? And I, you know, we often talk about identity issues being crucial for teenagers and young adults. But I think it's crucial for all of us. How do we hold on to who we are in Christ? Well, Jesus not only wants us to be in him. It's very clear, isn't it, in the book of Ephesians. In him, in Christ, through Christ, under Christ, in him. Jesus not only wants us to be in him, but he wants us to remain or to abide in him. In other words, he wants us to stay with him no matter what happens on a discipleship journey. How do we know that? We know it from a conversation that Jesus actually had with his disciples. As he left uh, the upper room where he'd been with his disciples having that last Passover meal together, and Jesus had actually mentioned to them that uh, in a very short moment he would be gone, but as they wandered from that house towards the Garden of Gethsemane, Somewhere in all of that, Jesus stops. Whether they were wandering by a a vineyard or whether he just kind of pointed to one, we don't know. But in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Jesus said these very famous words. He said, I am the true vine, meaning I am the true root. There's only one root. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He eyeballs these 11 disciples and he said, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then this is what he says. Remain. Or other translations will say abide or it's the equivalent of saying stay close. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we make sure today that we don't lose uh, sight of our brand new identity, of who we are in Christ? Because you can read that letter of Paul and you go, isn't that wonderful? And you can know it up here. But how do you actually uh, walk through life and the rub of life and the things that happen to us in life? How do, you, how do you walk through that and not lose sight of your identity? It's in these words of, of, of Jesus. He says, remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, it's, it's abiding or staying closely connected to Christ that, that enables those of us that are in Christ, gives us the necessary power to grow and to thrive regardless of what comes our way. It's learning to abide. Now, why do we find it so difficult to abide? Well, I think we are fiercely stubborn. That's kind of what we are. 
I'm seeing heads kind of nodding all around the room. You know what? By our own nature, we are saints that still sin, okay? So we're, we're, you know, the position hasn't changed, but we all know that given our own devices, we can kind of fall back into those spaces. We are fiercely and stubbornly independent at times. And what's that mean? Well, I don't need that. I'll just do this myself. And, and that's kind of often how we treat our relationship, our, our walk, this close abiding relationship. We don't do it out of this sense to, well, I'm just going to stubbornly resist Christ. Well, maybe sometimes we do. But, but, but a lot of the time it's just sense, the sense of, oh, I can do this myself. And yet Jesus urges us. He comes, he says, no, 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 no. I am the vine. I am the true, I am the true root. I am the vine. You're just a branch. And he invites us into this abiding, uh, close, connected relationship where we draw uh, uh, our, our power uh, and, and all that we need, the, the, the nutrients, the, what we actually need to walk through life as a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. We draw everything that we need by, by remaining in step with him because of our close connection to him, the source of life. I am the vine, says Jesus. How do we do that? Do you know what? It's really simple. And that's what makes this so ironic at times. It's so simple and yet sometimes it's so hard. We abide when we spend time with Jesus in the words. I was just listening to Pastor AJ over there at their other campus this morning saying, you know what? I've made a decision to not engage in any TV this year. And part of his reflection is the amount of time that's now giving him to either pick up something and read, to read the scriptures, to pray. It's just giving him a whole bunch more time. See, it's, it's time spent in the words. It's time spent in prayer. It's time spent in worship. Do you know, uh, you know sometimes, and I, I realize that we all kind of connect with God in different ways. And for some of us, it's music. And for others of us, you know what, we'd rather come in uh, 20 minutes after the service has started because uh, it doesn't, the music doesn't do that for us at all. Do you know we're going to spend the rest of eternity worshipping God? So if you don't like singing, you better get over it because we're going to spend a whole lot of time singing when we get to heaven. You know, there's going to be this sense of adoration and worship that's just going to go on. How do we abide? It's in this place of, of prayer. It's, it's, it's been in the Word. It's, it's, it's in worship. And you know what? It's in this relationship. It's in time spent with other followers of Jesus as they abide as well too. You know, why do we talk about our life group vehicle so much? We do that because it is a primary means and way of helping us to grow up and to become more and more like him. It's in, it's in that space with, with other believers or people that are on their own journey that as we, as we open up God's word and as we do life, that it's in that, it's intangible, but what does God do? It's in that space that he continues to grow us. Something happens here in this environment when we gather together as God's people, but there's something that's more intimate, something that... Uh, uh, I'm trying to, uh, you can see it's an intangible thing, but it's in this environment. It's like an incubator, a little hothouse that as we sit in this environment together, that the spirit of God begins to do his incredible work in and through us, all of us together as we open up God's words. See, we abide in different ways. Yeah, we abide personally, but we also abide collectively. And we're actually better together. 
So what does all this mean for us today as we think about what's it look like for us in this journey of becoming more and more like him? You see, I can't answer that question for you, what your journey might look like. You'll kind of know as you're thinking about that. But I think there's a couple of questions. And I want to just kind of put those out there today and let them sit out there because I think uh, these are the questions that we want to just think a little bit more deeply about today and across the course of this week. And really the first question, which is the most important question, is simply this. If you're going to go on a journey with Jesus, the question is, are you in Christ? See, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you somebody who would say, yep, I am on that journey. I am following Jesus. St. Augustine once said these words, very famous church father from uh, uh, the 3rd century AD. We've been shaped by God, for God, and our hearts will be restless until they find their home in him. If you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior, and you're feeling like, you know what, I feel lost, I feel restless, I just can't quite seem to make sense of life. Augustine said something incredibly profound. We've been shaped by God, for God, and our hearts will be restless until they find a home in him. And maybe, just maybe, someone here today or watching is realizing, you know what, I'm not in Christ. That actually answers a whole bunch of different things. You know, last year, there's some different things that were going on in my life, and I wasn't quite sure what was going on until I was talking it through with somebody, and then it was like the penny dropped. I'm like, oh, that just makes so much more sense. And maybe for you today, you're realizing, you know, I'm actually not in Christ, and the, 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 the most important decision you can ever make is to realize that you don't want to be in Adam, you want to be in Jesus. And you want God to then view your life through the lens of Jesus who's paid the ultimate sacrifice for your sins and so all you've got to do is repent of your sin and to embrace Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior. Are you in Christ? But here's the second question. Maybe for many more of us that are in this room or watching today, we're already in Christ Kind of it reflects why we gather together to want to worship and sing our praises to God. We're already in Christ, but the question then becomes, so how is your abiding relationship with Christ? You see, I mentioned a moment ago, you know, many of us are fiercely independent. We're stubborn and we'll kind of do things our own way. And Jesus just simply says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you and you'll bear much fruit. You know, the challenge for us is that... Uh, uh, we are so fiercely, you know, independent that this abiding thing is so hard for us. I've kind of used the, I'm mixing metaphors now, but you know, sometimes we, uh, and I've said this before, but you know, often we treat our abiding relationship like we're filling up the car. You know, we fly in because it's on empty. We better get this thing filled up because we don't want to run out of juice. And, and then we kind of run until it's on empty again. And we're going to fly back into the, that's never the way it was meant to be. See, branches don't produce fruit in and of themselves. They have to abide. And if we're going to walk this journey well as people who are following Jesus, if we're going to walk this journey of becoming more and more like him, then it doesn't happen by just kind of turning up here once every seven, you know, seven or eight weeks or uh, opening our Bibles once every uh, four or five days. And we wonder why. You know, why is it I'm struggling with that attitude? Or why is it that, uh, you know, I, I just see that, that that whole sinful response just seems to keep coming up time and time? Or why do I treat my kids like this? Or I, And you seem stuck in some of these things. I firmly believe it kind of comes out of our abiding relationship with Christ. The more that we're connected, the more that we're connected to that, that power source, 
the work of the Holy Spirit. We have been marked with a seal. We've been given the Holy Spirit. The more the Spirit is at work in our lives as we abide, it gives us, it's like it's the fuel that provides us with, that, that, that brings about the change. Not only does it empower us to go, but it's the thing that brings about the change in our lives and enables us to become more and more like Him. You see, if this journey of transformation was as simple as a 12-week course, we'd have this thing nailed, but it's not. You know, becoming more and more like Jesus is not just kind of putting up your hand and saying, yep, I'm following Jesus and now I am done. It is a commitment that says, you know what, I am going to go on this journey and I'm going to do it well. I'm going to play my part and let God play his part. But together, I'm going to become more and more like him. When you think about it, Nowhere else in life, think about this in the, um, in, the, uh, in the examples of how we do life, whether it's a trade, whether it's a, uh, a white-collar profession, there, is all, there are always things that we are doing to, to we, you know, there's things to learn, you know. Uh, it, it's like, you know, we come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. So, so we grow in our understanding of what we do. Same thing is true in the spiritual. We come as we are to Jesus. He takes us as we are, but then he says, now I want you to come with me. Come follow me and I will make you. I will change you. I will transform you. And yet some of us, we're so stubbornly resistant to all of that. We're saying, well, I've already come, but no, no one's going to change me. Jesus wants to change us. I don't want to change you. Jesus wants to change us. To become more and more like him. Are you in Christ? That's really the first decision you've got to wrestle with. And if you know that you're in Christ, then really the question becomes, how is my abiding relationship at this moment with Jesus Christ? For some of us, the answer might be really easy. It's like, you know what, it's going great. But you know, I know life and the rub of life and the seasons of life, that it doesn't take much to push us away from that to where our answer might be, you know what, it's not so good at the moment. Well, the good thing in all of that is we come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. Now, let's not be the people that 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the track after having come to faith in Jesus, we don't see much change in our life. You know, we, our position might never have changed. It, it's not going to change. Remember the words of Paul, he who began a good work in you will continue. The Spirit of God's continuing to want to do His good work in our lives. He is wanting to grow us to become more and more like Him. And so I want us to imagine for just a moment, can you imagine if every person here in this room and watching online was in Christ, that was who you were. And you said, in 2023, I'm taking that next step, whatever that next step might be. You know, maybe for some of us, it's actually deliberately choosing to say today you know what i've got to be in the words not because i'm ticking a box for anybody but i want to be in the word of god oh maybe it's uh you know what i want to go deeper in prayer and i want to pull into that space or, or maybe it's you've never had anybody walk alongside of you and disciple you as a follower of jesus and you're thinking i don't even know what the next step is but i want to take the next step if that's you today, make sure you come and see me because there are so many people here. We're, we're, you know, I think everybody needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in their life. 
Paul. We all need somebody who's further down the track, who's kind of, kind of calling us and, and helping us in that journey as a follower of Jesus. We need a Barnabas. They're your friends. They're your mates. They're just kind of there with you and the, kind of the rub of life and go, you know, it's okay. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I get that as well too. And each and every one of us in this room needs a Timothy, somebody else that we're investing into. Do you need somebody that's investing into your life or pouring into your life and helping you as a follower of Jesus? Go looking for that person. Or if you're not discipling somebody else today that's just a little bit further behind you, you need to be doing that. Parents, you do that with your kids, but is there somebody else? Have someone around for a cuppa or a coffee, whatever that might be. Jesus, if we're in Christ, we're already in him. But he wants to do his beautiful work in and through our lives, growing us up as we walk with him. What's the decision for you today? You know, I'm firmly convinced that, yes, it's the spirit of God that changes this world. No doubt about that. But he does his best work. This is what's quite remarkable. He does his work through transformed people. It's transformed people that end up playing their part and helping transform other people's lives as well too. And he invites us into that because of who we are in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, right across this room this morning, and maybe those that are watching online today, your spirit is at work in our hearts. And you're causing us to think deeply about who we are in Christ. I want to just pray now for people that maybe uh, uh, have never responded to you. And God, I pray that in this moment, you'd be helping them to understand that a response is not about ticking all the things they're going to do, but it's really just a response that says, you know, I'm realizing that I am a sinner and that Jesus Christ has died for my sin. And right now, I want to reach out and to embrace that finished work of what he has done for me in my life. It's, it's that simple. Father, if there's people like that right now, Lord, would you help them as they think through those words to respond to you? But for the rest of us, Father, I pray that you be stirring in us a, a, a thought around what's it going to look like for us to abide in 2023. That as we walk this journey with you, God, would you do great work in and through our lives today, I pray, helping us to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen.